0: The Spi-off podcast network.
1: Is it mad that the world burning is not in our like top three concerns? You thought bad news was done, but I'm back with more. In Alice Sneddon's "Bad News Saves the World," I finally address the climate crisis and explore why no one cares. Watch it on thespinoff.co.nz. I can
2: okay. see the anxiety <laughs> starting to emit
0: from you. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Sparklab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Sparklab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa and welcome to
2: Business is Boring. Six years ago, a finance industry insider was looking at the newish KiwiSaver scheme and seeing a rort. The government-mandated programme saw people being enrolled in offers provided by big incumbents, who were taking big fees and delivering what he saw as below-par service and returns. Knowing the power of compounding benefits and the power of index funds, he thought there could be a way to make a scheme that took super low fees and passed the savings on to the customers, leading to more money and dignity in their retirements. Unlike most providers, they set up as a not-for-profit, and so began simplicity, with what you could probably call a great case of gamekeeper turned poacher. CEO and founder Sam Stubbs has so far delivered some of the best returns in the industry, highest customer satisfaction, and a raft of new investment options that are designed to make a return and improve the economic picture in all of Aotearoa like build-to-rent and friendly mortgages for members. From beginning as an outsider, last year's Simplicity was made a default KiwiSaver scheme, meaning it's now one of the schemes new members are automatically enrolled in, a huge endorsement for their mission and results. To talk the journey, financial literacy, and what else is now possible thanks to their work, Sam Stubbs joins us now. Tēnā thank you for being here. Kia ora. Hey, so first up... Tell us about your start as you know, if you look at your CV, you came into the finance industry through probably um, the other end of things when it comes to running money, hey, like Faye Rich White and Goldman
1: Sachs. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about getting into that world and what it was like when you joined it. Yeah, sure. Well, <clears throat> look, you know, um, I'm a Westie, right? And, and I'm a real Westie. I'm not one of these, you know, fancy pants, tear to North Westies like an outrageous <laughs> fortune. I come from Sunnyvale, where it was, that's the real West Auckland. And, um, you know, look, I made one amazing decision in life. You know, I chose my parents well, right? So they were a couple of school teachers. And uh, growing up in Sunnyvale was a really interesting experience because back in those days, it was sort of what I call the working poor, right? So there weren't, weren't a lot of people unemployed, but there was very little extra money. And um, there was, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that you just wouldn't accept now. You know, there's a lot of inherent racism um, a lot of violence, all that sort of stuff and um <clears throat> but it's a it, that's a really good schooling you know uh, for, for 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 someone because you learn it's basically survival on one level it's opportunism on another level because there's not much around you make do with what you've got and it teaches you adaptability as well right so so and in many ways of course it was also a sort of a bucolic existence because back then West Auckland still had orchards and Parks and all this sort of stuff. Um, so I started out actually going. I mean, I was a sort of a thin, nerdy kid in a really tough school, Calston Boys, a big, big rugby school. And um, so, you know, that was lore of the jungle, but there I did learn survival. And, um, and then I popped out of there into university and um, I actually studied politics and philosophy. Uh, I didn't have a single financial qualification in, in, uh, at all. And then when I popped out of that, I just basically looked for a job that would teach me uh, about business. For some reason, I liked business. I bought my first share at age twelve, and uh, I was always like g- going to get money because money was scarce. I was always working—you know, supermarket shelves at night and wire stripping factories, and all. I was always going and getting jobs part time. And so I just took a job with IBM and uh, they trained me for about a couple of years and then they had the first voluntary redundancy scheme anywhere in the world for IBM. So I got paid a lot of money to leave and I thought, this is just <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so got this big check, you know, and then, um, well, big check for me, right? It's probably about $10,000. Um, and then they had this, these internships for this company called Fay Rich White. And back then, look, you know, like, I'd like to say that it, this was a calculated bet. It wasn't. Faye what was just in the media because they were sponsoring the America's Cup and they had this big fancy building on Queen Street and uh, they seemed to drive faster cars and go out with prettier girls than, you know, than I did. So, and so I just went into this world of investment banking for all the wrong reasons. You know, it was, it was basically, um, it was just I saw an opportunity and I went into it and I thought the finance industry looks pretty interesting. And then when I got in there... Um, It was really interesting. I mean, it was really genuinely interesting. Those were the buccaneering days of finance, right? Now, we didn't know that fundamentally we were doing some pretty wrong things for the country, actually. But the whole world went down this massive, you know... Um, market economy, free enterprise is always right. You can't do anything wrong by letting you know the, the sort of the, these sort of almost pirates in a way uh, determine the economy, and that was fueled of course, by politics because you had the whole you know uh, Roger Douglas you know uh, Rogernomics type mentality permeating through the economy at that point. So. And even though that was post the big crash, right, it was still there. There was still the aftermath of that. So, look, I got involved in that, and um, I had, gosh, four or five pretty good years there. And then um, I got married, and and my, uh, my wife got posted to London. She was with Foreign Affairs. Then I went there, and then I got uh, transferred, actually, with the outfit I was working for at the time to London, which was really nice. And then Goldman Sachs came and uh, sort of poached me. Yeah.
2: What an amazing, um, you, you know, time to hit that industry as well. As I guess at that moment, you know. Now, if you tell people how closed New Zealand was in the early 80s compared to the early 90s, yeah, the change in New Zealand was absolutely massive over that kind of like 10, 15 year oh, period.
1: It was huge. And, and look, and there's some really good things that came from that too, right? Like there's no question that um, had we carried on down the old path, I don't think we would have been. Look, there are good and bad, right? There would have been some, I think we'd have been a more egalitarian society, but I think we would have overall all been poorer off. So so I think there's pluses and minuses, but yeah, it was a really, it was a, I mean, people forget that like back when Muldoon was in charge, price of cars were imported with, with restrictions. You had to go into a waiting list to buy a car. You couldn't get foreign exchange you know the price of everything was regulated i mean it was just it was an un like you would almost call it a communist economy oh, uh, with a few oligarchs who had licenses yeah. oh, to import oh, things incredible. and so yeah. an
2: incredibly limited government mandated kind of yeah. you can be well, yeah 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 yeah, 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 Absolutely. yeah. But, but and then i you know, you hear from these people as well, like, you know, the trickle-down idea. People thought that they were helping the world by getting rich because it would end up trickling
1: down, yeah, but yeah. it wasn't really. <laughs> well, no, well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. So, so there was, look, you know, the, the, the one thing I've learned in my life is that people are always going to get their eye on the main chance, right? So, so entrepreneurialism, capitalism, whatever you call it, someone's always going to try and take advantage of whatever policy settings there are tax settings there are so there's always going to be people getting rich right and and in an exploitative way but also some people getting rich in a really constructive positive way as well so i don't sort of have a strong ideological view on that other than as a general rule when you allow people to flourish you create circumstances by which people can flourish they they will. Yeah, you know, they want to. <laughs> Someone you know. will come in and do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And and so you went and worked for these, you know, big names
1: in yeah. investment banking,
2: and then you found yourself back in New Zealand. Paint a picture for me for like, um, you know, what was it that 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 took you out of being um a big figure on the finance industry side, mm. which is really built about information. Um, you know, asymmetrical information. Like the people in the finance industry know more and so they make a whole lot of money and normal people yeah. don't know much and they pay a whole lot of fees. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, the, the yeah, finance yeah. industry wins either way. Yep. Um, yep. And, and and so you you come from that world and, and what did you look and see with the new KiwiSaver programme and, 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 and the problem that you wanted to solve? Yeah,
1: so look, it, it's... Um Simplicity really is probably a result of my midlife crisis. To be honest with you, so it was actually driven for a not. It wasn't a rational look at the finance industry. It was a deep look at myself about what I, what I wanted to, uh, what I wanted the rest of my life to stand for. Because um, I was on a little bit of a hedonistic treadmill there, and it was becoming patently aware to me that making more money was not making me happier. In fact, it was making me unhappier, and that was because. You know, I had to go back to Sunnyvale. I had to go right back to those values that I had inherited as a child and um, me getting richer and effectively wrapping my world in cotton wool Um, preventing myself from getting exposed to the the daily reality. Because I think uh, that's what a lot of rich people do. They insulate themselves from reality, right? They hide themselves in quiet cars and gated communities and only go on holidays with their friends and so on. And so they create this false reality to, uh, in many cases, and certainly in my case, to justify their existence. They knew inherently there was something wrong with that. And so um, it took... uh, kind of like an earthquake in my life, which was a divorce, to basically um, come to terms with Um, what I wanted in life. And basically what I wanted in life was to do what I was doing. I mean, there are all these skills that you inherit and so on. And, you know, the world of money can be fun because you can actually help change people's lives, you know. A little bit more money gives you choices in life, and those choices give you dignity, right? You know, you can really help change New Zealand positively. But to do it in a way where I was basically giving back to the people of of Sunnyvale, you know, I was giving back. So in many ways, um, uh, I'm one part... Uh, Finance person, but I'm also one part charity worker, and 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 and, you know social enterprise uh, worker, and then another very uh, really important part of that is I'm also part of an amazing team. So um, that's super cool. You know when you get a team of people. United around a common mission is very powerful, so um, which is why I think social enterprise is going to be will transform capitalism. This is the next wave, and we can talk about that in a minute. But yeah, so that was the that was the process I went through, and I think a lot of businesses. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. We worship youth, right? We we think that startups are young people who have a good idea and a technological edge. And but there's a whole lot of innovation comes from a whole lot of different places, including people like me in my late 40s. In that case, who decide that you know what, you know, there is this uh, this thing called wisdom and experience, if channeled properly, with an amazing team of people, can also do this fun stuff. You know, you know, it um, the only entrepreneurs aren't. Well, you know, there are entrepreneurs all the way through life. Yeah, uh, we see this in some of the charities we fund. By the way, most amazing ideas come out of people in retirement. Yeah, so um, yeah, so that was that was sort of my, my my journey. But you know, look, I'm a I'm just a Westie mate. It's it's you know, <laughs> it, there's nothing nothing special, or well, you know. T- tell me about the coming together of those two ideas
2: of, um, y- you know, most of the industry, especially the default providers in the beginning that were taking these great big fees and yeah. getting lower returns and having lower customer satisfaction than um you know than the than the average in the industry. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one problem. And then the second problem of, you know, trying to actively manage and delivering low returns when index funds could give low fees that yeah. you can then pass on. Yeah. Tell me about bringing those two ideas together, because that was very new in the KiwiSaver
1: approach in yeah. New Zealand. Yeah, look, so um, so look, one of these things is simply a fact, and it's that you know, if you, if you belong to a club, and the club is awesome for the people in the club, you don't leave the club, and you tell everybody, oh, it's not that good in this club, you don't want to join this club, right? So the world of fund management and finance is a club. It's a club of people who've worked out that this is extremely lucrative, Highly advantageous for the people who belong. Um, and so uh, they run it as a club. And it's a very high fee club. I mean, look, you know, I mean, um, look at the banks, for example. The last time I looked at it, the banks were at four of the five most profitable companies in the country. So, top figures, you know, so go figure. Why is that? And they say it's because we're big, we're massive, and it's well, actually, not really. No, it's because actually, um, you exist in a system, and you take advantage of a system that basically thrives on ignorance. You know, uh, where you know lots of fancy billboards with happy families jumping into swimming pools is how the banks advertise because they don't want you to know the ugly truth of how profitable the business is. So, and that happens all through fund management too. So KiwiSaver is incredibly incredible, it's a wonderful institution. It will transform New Zealand. But um, it is uh, managed by a bunch of people who realise, oh yeah, we can see a massive growth here. Everyone's saving money. Here's an opportunity for us to make money in a way which will not seem that expensive. Uh, but it's actually incredibly expensive. So KiwiSave is wonderful, but the fees are a total ripoff. And um, you know, and 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 I'll, I'll give you an example of it. This is a really simple way how you can understand it. So most people say <clears throat> would say, "Oh, one percent doesn't sound very much as a fee. One percent sounds little, right?" But let's let's put this into perspective. The um, the government says that you can expect about a four and a half percent return off a growth fund over your lifetime. That's what you reasonably expect. So if you make four and a half dollars, and the fee is one so percent, that means for every four and a half dollars you make, one dollar goes to the fund manager. So suddenly one percent is more like you know twenty two, twenty three percent. So if I told you your fees aren't one percent. They're 22% of everything you make. Uh, you go, Whoo, hold on. That starts to feel more like a tax, doesn't it? And that 1% last year led to, I think it was about $670 million of KiwiSaver fees for the providers. And, uh, and, and you know, it just it gets bigger and bigger as it grows and grows. It's this- huge. I mean, it's a massive amount of money. And that's, I mean, you know, for one year, that's
2: a lot, right? But that's $600 million, if even two-thirds of that, yeah. that's another $400 million that's yeah. sitting there that could yeah. be compounding in the benefit Uh, that
1: it gives people into retirement, and that becomes an enormous number. It's absolutely huge. In fact, here's an example. So, you know, this recent debacle about GST on KiwiSaver fees, right? What the eye opener was, that that little bit of extra GST on that fee, how many hundreds of millions, and then how many billions that added up to in terms of taking Kiwi's wealth away. I think that's what shocked people. So people should take that shock and translate it into the fees they're being charged. I'll give you another interesting fact on that. A lot of people assume that it's expensive running a KiwiSaver manager. Well, let me give you the example of uh, uh, of why it's not. First of all, there's no capital required, so you don't have to put what we call regulatory capital aside to be a fund manager. You can just do it from day one. Secondly, it's a very high-tech business. You don't have to spend that much money. You don't need bricks and mortar or shops or whatever. So I'll give you an example. Simplicity set up, and and I personally uh, funded it, and uh at our worst drawdown, so the worst point of loss for us, we had spent six hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and then we started climbing up and now we 're you know making a cash surplus every month so that 's an example of how cheaply you can set up a big business and in the finance industry uh, that I think that 's the great um, the great misconception is that finance is expensive to get into, and it is not. It does it does not require a lot of capital. It does not require a lot of money, and yet suddenly you can get yourself into a game which is. You know, highly, highly lucrative. There is a reason why so many smart people are in the finance industry. They have made a risk-adjusted, calculated decision. This is how I get paid the most for taking the least risk. By the way, that's exactly why I got into the industry as well. Yeah. right?
2: You can set up shop and then other people bring you their money. You make money off having their money. And then if they
1: lose money, you lose nothing. And if they make money, you gain more. You said Seems it, like a
2: good deal.
1: Dude, dude, you said it absolutely beautifully. <laughs> so and, and, and it is a gravy train, which very rarely goes off the
2: rails, right? And and so having had that idea, and especially with the index fund idea, which yeah. you started with, where there's already, um, you know, uh, funds that track markets and over time taking a view of Uh, you you know, tracking the entire market or, or, you know, a large portion of it rather than trying to pick winners is going Mm. to do better for most people. And people like Buffett have put big bets up on people saying, you know, you're never going to outperform a a tracker. And people aren't doing that
1: because they can't... Take the fees or what? what what's that? Yeah, well, you know, yeah. I mean, this is this is the other yeah. this is the other huge sort of lie of our industry, mm. right? Which is that you can actually add value um, by you know picking the direction of markets. Let me ask you a question, Simon. What's the market going to do next year? Yeah. <laughs> no one has. Like, you, you, can't pick, you can't pick a a, um, a pandemic. You can't yeah. pick a war in Ukraine. You can't pick anything. It, it's a fool's game, mm. and yet a bunch of people try and fool you by thinking that they can actually work out what will happen. Now, so, so let, 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 let's not use words. Let's use data to prove this, right? So the reason why Simplicity, which is a non-profit owned by a charity, right, so we're not making any money out of this. We just entirely set ourselves up to make New Zealanders wealthier. They get all of the benefits of scale. So why? do we manage money in that way? It's because the statistic, the data, and Standard and Poor's have done this over a very long time, over 30 years now. It's called the SPIVA studies. These are the studies that no fund manager will ever tell you about. But actually they're a very comprehensive set of data which works out which active fund managers, picking markets, how, how well have they outperformed just buying the whole market and charging the lowest fee. And the statistics broadly are, it depends a little bit on where you are around the world, but very roughly, in any one year, 80% of people who try to beat the markets will fail to do so, not because they don't beat the markets, but because after fees, after the high fees, they don't beat the market. And then over 30 years, that the statistic of that jumps down to below 5% chance of actually beating the market over 30 years. Now, most people in KiwiSaver are investing for 30, 40 years, right? So would you bet on a, a 5% chance of winning? would you bet on a 20% chance of winning in any one year? It's a fool's game, right? You're so not, You're not even betting on
2: yourself. You're betting on who knows who to do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and even if they're wonderful, and look, we have some yeah. wonderful local managers, you know, like Milford Asset Management, they're a wonderful local active manager. But you know what? they change. The people change. And these are people making subjective uh, 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 choices about where markets go. And so, it's highly unlikely. I mean, even Warren Buffett will die, right? So, if you are lucky enough to pick that guy, is the next person going In fact, statistically, the chances of you getting two or three generations of this are, are extremely low. So, so it's, it's simple maths. It's a, it's a, it's a simple quantitative uh, process that you look at which says, how will you make people the most amount of money? Now, by the way, uh, the, the and, and the reason we chose this is for that reason, but here's the consequence. It's incredibly boring. Mm. It's like it's the tortoise strategy. you're not doing much, right? in terms of doing you're, you're, you're just investing in the index and you just add up you know it, it's a very simple thing to do. it's done done by done by there's some smart people at our work doing it, but the process is very simple. You can't charge a big fat fee. Yeah, I mean, you can't create this illusion of adding value. You can't talk about market directions and fancy charts, and we love this company and so on and so forth. You can't do that, right? And so, you, you can't jet off to go
2: and see the, um, oh, exactly. the, the management and, and wrought trips, oh, junkets exactly. all around the world. Exactly. beautiful. Exactly. So <laughs> beautiful I've, hotels and you know, plane you know,
1: rides. Exactly. Yeah. So I've gone, you know, in my career at, at Goldman Sachs, I was lit, literally uh, uh, flying around in the Rolling Stones jet uh, you know, being all fancy pantsy, and now I'm, you know, flying. You know, I have been flying jets down to you know, all, all around the country. So it's it's really boring. In fact, you know, the title of this podcast business is boring. Our business is very boring, and 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 because boring businesses actually are usually spectacular long term businesses, and and in this case, that's the case. So that, that's what we chose to do. How, how do we make the most amount of money? And over time, I mean, it is already starting to play out. But over time, it will just. You know, this is tortoise versus hare stuff and when you're when you're investing billions and billions of dollars of other people's money you have a fiduciary responsibility to look after them not look after yourself the problem is is that most of our industry looks after itself first then the customers later not the other way around
2: yeah and we'll be back in a moment to hear from sam stubbs how they built simplicity and what they're now able to achieve next Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step by step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment?
0: We're back
2: with Sam Stubbs of Simplicity. So today, you've got four and a half billion odd under management, 130,000 odd members. Uh, you're saving about 40 million a year in fees uh, that your um, customers would otherwise be losing every year, uh, and you've provided 4.5 million uh, of of the kind of um, fees to charities that you're able to 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 help to provide. That is a massive impact to have built to, and like we were saying before, uh, have
1: become one of the default
2: schemes. How do you build to that point
1: yeah it 's really interesting isn 't it because um, I had no playbook on this right so um, because i 've just worked for other people, a big organization so um, look the first the first magic is is our team, so um, yeah, you know, I happen to be the face of the business and and the voice of it. But if you the the four founders of this business, um, Amanda, my partner, Amir, and Andrew, he, my real name's Arthur too, so it was the four A's. Um, that they were critical, right? Uh, there's, uh, this business would have died had it been just me. So. We're, and we're all co-founders uh, of the business, so I think that was the most amazing thing: is get an impassioned group of people around, right? Because one plus one equals three when it comes to setting up in business. So many uh, times we worship uh, the founder culture, right? But um, I can guarantee you, Elon Musk would be nowhere, or Jeff Bezos would be nowhere near where they were without an incredible bunch of uh, people. So that was the first thing: uh, getting together the first uh, key three or four people. And then, um, you know, there's a really interesting thing about setting up in business. I, I see so many people who, who pitch to us now because we get a lot of pitches for startups and funding them. And I see complex balance sheets and profit and losses and all these sort of things. And basically, the lesson we learned is all you do is you just become paranoid about managing to cash All that matters is money coming in this month and money going out the next month. And then you have to be incredibly nimble on your feet, right? So the process of innovation, I love the way Steve Jobs talked about it actually. He said, Look, in Apple, we don't sit down and say, in in 10 years' time, this is where we'll be and these are the products we will do. You know, we started out with the Apple one, then it was the Apple two. Then we got into phones. Then we got into watches. You know. Then we got into tablets. And we knew none of this. So it's a very random process, and it's opportunistic. And so uh, we've done a couple of things, I think, which is basically grab the opportunities when we saw them. Second thing is to fail fast because we've had some stuff which has gone wrong. So we've just just you know basically pulled the pin very quickly on that. And then you begin this random process of innovation. But if you have amazing people there you kind of work it out. And I, I don't think there's any hard and fast rules uh, about how you innovate other than get a cool group of people together, be paranoid about managing to cash. You know, and this is like, you know, we were around my kitchen table and then we we're around the lounge table. There's no fancy offices, no starting out, and we were, you know, and and we have this we still have it, what we call the simplicity begging bowl. We asked for everything for nothing. You know, we've had sixty seven volunteers in our business over the over the years, and we have some, you know, we've just been actually gifted a company worth well in excess of $100 million, and part of that is just asking, asking for help. One of the interesting things I think that entrepreneurs don't realize when they set up is that everybody wants you to do well, and everybody wants to help you do well, so there's just been some incredible, you know, gifting uh, uh, of, you know, of 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 ideas and labor and so on. And does everyone want you to do well more
2: if you are set up as a not-for-profit with a charity off the back of it and you have
1: such a strong purpose there. Is, yeah, yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. And, and I think customers want you to do well too. You know, this is the interesting power of social enterprise. You know, look, I'm fundamentally a capitalist, right? And everything that a simplicity invests in is designed to make a profit. But the really um, interesting observation or the thing I've learned over the last six years, more so than, well, there are two things I've learned. One is the power of teamwork. Um, it's just incredible. And, and by the way, you know, I've had worked. i worked for some incredible teams in my life, but nothing like this. The second one is the power of social enterprise. And what I mean by that is I think it's actually going to redefine capitalism now. And, 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 and we are an example of this. Like how can someone go in the finance industry from six years to go from where we started to where we are? Well, think about the model, right? And think about social enterprises generally. They have some incredible competitive commercial advantages. The first is you don't need to make a dollar. You don't need to make a profit. Now, that's that's huge, right? That means that we can price our products at about a third of our competitors. So that's a huge commercial advantage. That's just like selling a tin of baked beans at one third the price, right? And generally, it's the same tin of baked beans. That's the first thing. The second thing is you tend to get the very best of talent uh, in these things because people, you know, People get smarter. And so the younger generation now, they want They don't have my dream. My dream was get rich, buy a house, then buy an investment property, ba-da-ba-da. Their dream now is, you know what? I really value freedom. I really actually want the world to be a better place. I want my skills to be used for purpose, and I want to be paid fairly. I don't have to own a house. I might want to rent it for the rest of my life. Different mindset, smarter mindset about the world they want to live in, much more environmentally aware, all that stuff. You know? People like me, I'm 57 now. It's so easy to become old and curmudgeonly and say like, these young people they don't know what they're talking about. They know it. That's rubbish. They're smarter and better than than our yeah. generation. And find any person in their
2: 50s across all of history who was like, you know what, this next generation looked great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't have all the answers. Yeah. Well, well,
1: well I'm, I'm one. I'm one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, I
1: would much rather this generation's <laughs> in charge yeah. of the world than my generation. Yeah, right? you're, you're a rarity. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, as I say to. To call them kids these days, I say the kids. Look, we gave you the internet, so we're not all bad, but we also screwed the environment for you. So we apologise for that. You, that. That's your challenge now. But the the um, so so, so you, you know so you have you don't have to make a profit. You can get the very best people. But here's the other thing. Here's the other interesting thing. And this is where technology. Uh, is changing capitalism in a way which I think is much more interesting than just you know, fancy laptops and self-driving cars. When you have technology-driven businesses, they tend not to have what we call bricks and mortars. You don't have to build factories. You don't need shops. You don't need that stuff. That means you can build businesses which are, can explode in growth, change the industry that they are ch- taking, but actually doesn't take very much money. And so you can suddenly suddenly run tech businesses as social enterprises. So I think the next Apple, Google, and Microsoft will actually be a social enterprise. And and, and let me give you an example in New Zealand, right? That, that how enduring? Because social enterprises tend to be forever companies, right? So as we say at Simplicity, look, we we don't make a dollar, therefore we'll never be worth a dollar, therefore we'll never be bought or sold. We're going to be around for a hundred years. Why do we know this? Because the model we copied was Southern was Southern Cross. Look at Southern Cross, um, has been around for 100 years, but here's the big thing about Southern Cross, 75% of the medical insurance market, it's completely dominant. Why? Because it's a social enterprise, because fundamentally it can underprice its competitors, and it has a very long-term view on things. So think about the power of social enterprise, and we are one. How can, how can we have grown so fast and 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 be so competitive in price, and when you know, the key customer service awards every year, it's because we're a social enterprise. We attract the best people, we we can charge much less, and we have a much longer-term view on things. And I think that the whole tech world which has grown up on the romance of making people rich via stock options. I think that was the first wave. Mm-hmm. The next wave is going to be people turning around and saying, hey, I can actually make a better world by setting up a company. We can pay ourselves fairly, but we can be massively competitive versus all these other industries via a social enterprise model. And to, you know, to give you an idea of the scale of this... Simplicity is only six years old. We've only just started. If people think that we're a player, you have no idea because we have a hundred year view on things. We don't have to make a dollar. So, all the benefits of scale. So, if people always talk about how low our fees are, I think they're way too high. I want them to go down a lot with scale. And then it allows us to take an incredibly long-term view in, for example, housing, affordable housing. It allows, in terms of providing low-cost mortgages, all of these things are possible because we're a social enterprise. Hugely competitive.
2: Yeah, let's talk about those things as like,
1: you know, the normal
2: vanity metrics that funds have, you know, number of amount under management and all the rest. You know, like, you've got those, but the kind of coolest thing, I think, is the... Cultural change that you're leading in the industry. So you've been the first fund to, um, that I, I believe, the first fund to uh, start having a, a an alternative investment part of your funds. So things like VC, uh, you're doing build to rent, and so yep. that's a massive thing for society. And like when you have that long term view, T- tell me about. And, and, and you've done a lot of that within. You know, lots of people might take a little bit longer to start building out innovations yeah. like that. You've done it all very quickly while you're doing everything else, like well, yeah. scaling and growing and the normal thing. Tell me about being able to actually use capital in a way that
1: has a bit of a conscience to it, because that's not how capital normally operates. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So it's one of those things where you can actually make money and do good. It is possible. And in fact, you know what? It's what people want you to do with their money. They want to think that they are investing it and doing some social good. That, that's, the, that's the thing that our industry hasn't cottoned on to. Right now, what they're all saying is, listen, you know, we're all ESG, we're all environmental, all that. So they've, they've got that stage one. But stage two is actually uh, much more bricks and mortar. So let me give you an example of this. Think about um, a mortgage, for example, if you take out a mortgage. Now, mortgages are funded by term depositors, put money in the banks, and the banks lend it to borrowers. So the term depositor comes in and gets, say, 3%. And then the bank adds on two percent and gives you a mortgage at five percent, right? So the person supplying the money gets three percent, the bank gets two percent, just because it acts in the middle. It's an intermediary, right? So we said, Oh stuff that. That's just a rip-off. It's a rip-off for the for the investors in the bank. The the term deposits are too low and the mortgages are too high. So what we do is we just um we, we use some of our KiwiSaver money and we will give them, say, four percent return. And we will lend it to the borrower at 4%, which is tiny operating, amount of operating costs. And so that means that the person borrowing, and in, in so far, since we've set up, they pay about 1% less on average in their mortgage, and the person in the KiwiSaver fund earns more than if we'd put that money into the bank in terms of deposits. It's a classic win-win. But who loses there? The banks. No one's making any money out of this. Everyone, everyone is you're you're making money for your investors, but you're also doing good by providing low-cost mortgages. Now, what's interesting about that is is Simon is you call that innovative. You know what? That's what building societies used to do. Mm-hmm. That's what thrift societies used to do. That's actually what uh, the Knights Templar used to do thousands of years ago. This is a business model about members looking after members, acting in a cooperative way. It's thousands of years old. We're just doing it with, with, with technology effectively, right? So um, these ideas, which are innovative, th- 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 there's an interesting thing we have in simplicity. We hate new ideas. We don't have a single new idea there. We just take what's worked in history and takes what's worked overseas and brought it to New Zealand with two huge competitive advantages, well, three, really, huge competitive advantages. One is a long-term view. We have a 100-year view, so we're building affordable houses that we will own or intend to own for 100 years. So we're building them to last 100 years, by the way. They're much better built because we'll own them. The second thing, so we have a very long-term perspective. The second thing is we don't need to make money for ourselves. So all of the benefits of scale go back to the people who are supplying the money and a little bit of that benefit to the people who are, you know, using the products like mortgages or homes. Uh, So, you know, with long-term view, we don't have to make any money. And here's the other thing. Billions and soon-to-be tens of billions of dollars to invest in a manner... So imagine the scale of the goodness that you can do, right? So, you know, we announced uh, building affordable homes in September. We've already got 159 in build now. We've built the land for another 450, and our intention is to be building 1,000 homes a year, we hope to be building 1,000 homes a year within three years, and then to eventually own 10,000 homes around the country for rent and therefore change, create another option for people, for retirees who might want to rent for the rest of their lives as opposed to going to a retirement home, young people saving for home, or quite frankly, so someone who just wants to rent for the rest of their lives, yeah, which is what it. happens in Spain, Germany, France, or, you know, all around the world, right? Yeah, places
2: where people uh, don't have you know, the great Bernard Hickey line that New Zealand's got a housing market with the you know yeah, economy yeah, yeah. bolted on the exactly. end of it. You know,
1: yeah. like com- com- countries that aren't obsessed yeah. and yeah. only invest in, in, in property exactly. so when you productive assets. So when you have a, when you have so so let me give you an example in just an affordable housing, because we're not only going to transform the finance industry and, and I f- think we will be at, at the end of it, we'll be the biggest finance um, company in the country eventually, just like Southern Cross are the biggest medical insurer. I think we might also be the biggest house builder, with the possible exception of the government. And here's why. You look at look at the economics of what we're doing right now. We, Because we can fund all of this without borrowing money, we can just fund it with our Kiwi7 member savings, and because we what we call vertically integrate, so we control everything. We own the building company, we build the houses, we operate them, we rent them, we maintain them. We're now building in Auckland... Um, apartments with an average value of about $450,000. So it's about 30 to 40% lower than the market price because we're not making any profit and because we have economies of scale. They're also built to last twice the building code So they're built out of concrete and brick and they're built to last 100 years. Why? Because we'll actually own them for 100 years, right? And we actually spend more than we need to in order to get them to last that long. So, for example, we put concrete roofs on top because it makes them warmer and drier. And in 50 years' time when we need to replace the roof, people can stay in the apartments. You know, there's all that sort of long-term thinking. And that kind of long-term thinking is something that – like I'm really positive
2: about New Zealand's um, long-term possibilities – for a big part of that is because of the increasing role of iwi in the economy. Yeah, because yeah. we'll be one of these few countries in the world that has capital with a long-term moral view as opposed yeah. to an amoral view where yeah. it just goes and disappears and, yeah. and, 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 and you know, distorts the world. And, and I think that you look at places like um, China or like Norway and you know com- countries that do have a, a, a social view of capital uh, yeah. and it's significant in their economy end up being better places
1: for the people in them. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. So you have a look at the New Zealand economy, right? So for so long, our wealth has been tied up in our houses. So when, it, when, when something affects the housing market, we're incredibly passionate about it, right? But when something else happens in the economy, oh, that's someone else's, some rich guy or some foreigner or whatever. As Kiwi savers, as we con- continue to invest in the hood, right? And you know, here's the really interesting thing. Do you know how the number of days that Simplicity has sold things in the market to finance people taking their money out? Zero. We've been net investors every single day, all through COVID, all through market downturns, and so on. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because, and that's the same for all KiwiSaver investors. So there's this rising tide of capital coming into New Zealand, and we're buying back. New Zealand in a sense because our economic history has been tidal waves of foreign capital coming and going and creating instability and uncertainty. And so if you look at and this is why I'm incredibly positive about New Zealand I mean you know I know there's all this bad news out there right now but if you I think we're about to hit the next 30 years would possibly be the most prosperous in our history It's be a great time to be in New Zealand and the reason I say that is if you look at the amount of money that's coming in we're going from being capital poor to capital rich, And, you know, the problems of wealth are way better than the problems of poverty, right? You know, so having more money, uh, uh, money solves a lot of problems. Not all problems, but it helps solve a lot. The second thing is, if you have a look at history, I mean, I'm not just you know pulling this out of the air as naive optimism. Because look at Australia. When Australia started saving in the 1970s into their superannuation funds, Australia is a commodity country, just like New Zealand. You know, we have milk, they have iron ore, right? You would have thought the economies would have bounced up and down and been quite volatile. Australia had 26 years without recession. 26 years, didn't matter what happened to the price of iron ore or coal or whatever, and that was because their superannuation funds were continually reinvesting in the economy. High growth companies They were building skyscrapers, all that sort of stuff. It's why, for instance, if you go to Brisbane, a city which is not too far from Auckland in terms of size, Brisbane's way richer better roads, better buildings, better infrastructure, so on. So so we're about to hit that period. This is going to be an awesome time to be in New Zealand because suddenly we will have money to do the stuff we want to do in a whole lot of areas. You make things Sound very simple And I love the way That you say
2: You know We we like old ideas We don't like These untested things We like things that are simple And you've said before That you know um, The finance uh, world Is like any other priesthood You know That people like To have mystery And confusion to, To get one over you Yeah You've also in the past talked about kind of the recipe for having a good financial life. And that's a big mission of yours. And you've recently published a book and, you know, made made it really widely available for that same idea of helping people um, have a better financial life. Like, what is the,
1: you know, what is the like the the elevator pitch
2: for having a better financial
1: life? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a first thing. Look, it's a mindset, right? So the first thing is, and I'm sorry, this is what I'm just going to ask you to trust me, right? Money is really simple. I know right now that people think that you know the number one source of worry seems to be money worries, right? And a lot of that is out of ignorance and inability to understand what got you into that problem and how to get out of it. And there are some incredibly well-meaning people who write a lot of really interesting stuff about how to do this, but they tend not to cut through to people who, you know, if you want to read these books and learn and you're curious you're generally not the sort of person who has money worries, right? The people who have money worries are the people who are scared, uninformed, ignorant, and our industry has treated them shamefully, really, because they haven't demystified uh, money. what they've, they've actually, as you say, created this priesthood. They've created this illusion that it's difficult. Give us your money and we'll sort it out. Where, the, where there's mystery, there's margin. <laughs> exactly. Great line. I love that. Do you mind if I yeah, no, oh, steal I, that one? I, stole, I stole it from someone that and I love awesome. it. I use I love it all that. the time, isn't it, great? That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but that's absolutely true. So what we're doing is demystifying money. So the first thing is to realize that actually uh, you, you will be okay with money. You can be okay with money. Um, it, it, it can be your friend, not your enemy. Uh, and, and it can buy you a, a lot of, and we, you know, we all know what having money does. It, it's cool. So um, that's so that's the first thing is the mindset, which is to say, I'm actually capable of mastering this. The second thing is realizing there's only a few things you need to get right. There's not, it's not that complex. And in fact, in this book, you know, it's a hundred pages, so you can read it in an hour. It's how I manage my life, and I've been all through all the complexities of money and tried all these sorts of things, and I've cut, settled down to a very simple, repeatable v- formula, which, quite frankly, Means I don't worry about money. That's the biggest thing, right? The the biggest goal here is not to get rich, it's to not worry about money. It's to actually get on with the rest of life, to get on with the people and and the fun and the places, the things that actually genuinely make you happy. Because, you know, and, and, and I'm just one of many people who will tell you that being rich does not make you happy. You know, you think that, but it doesn't. It, it in fact it can make you positively unhappy. But the so so I, I think this whole thing is about demystifying it. Yeah, yeah. Be, be, being rich doesn't make you happy, but being poor. Does oh, make oh, you miserable, Oh, and that sucks. Yeah, poverty yeah, sucks. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 totally. But so, so it's. But once you're out of poverty, and I think you know, my partner Amanda, who's a, uh, she's a she's an expert in this area. You know, she, she she says that the surveys tell you that about a hundred thousand dollars a year, in income after that. Uh, it actually, your, your happiness goes down, you know, not up. So you, you think that having more money, and that's certainly been my personal experience too. So, the, so demystifying it, making it simple, and just saying to people, you know what? It is okay to come into this world. You will be okay here. You belong here. It's okay for you to under, uh, understand the basics of money and apply them to your life. And then basically ignore the rest. Get the basics right. It's like everything in life right. Yeah, If you get the basics right, it'll be okay. (laughs) It'll be good. And so this is not trying to be the Bible. It's not trying to tell you everything, but it's saying let's just get these basic things sorted out and you'll be okay. What what, what are the basics? Oh, really simple, mate. So, I mean, they're really – and you hear them again and again and again, right? So um, I should actually dig out the book, but we don't have the time, but it's really simple. Look, I think it's it's very simple. First of all, is get the habits in life, right? So, first of all, is pay down your debt. Like, debt sucks, man. The only debt that you should have, in my opinion, if you possibly can, is a mortgage, because that's, re- that's good debt, that's working for you, increasing your wealth. And take on a student loan if that means you're going to get qualifications, which means you will make money, right? Those are the two forms of acceptable debt. All other debt is bad. Uh, don't let anyone convince you. Credit card debt stinks. Personal loans stink. Car loans. Anything that you borrow money. Watch out for buy now, pay later. Uh, uh, buy. It's uh, just well, there's a special place in hell for the, those schemes, in my opinion, anyway. But the the um, th- so so that's the first thing is is stay out of debt. Don't even get into it. Just stay out of it. Avoid it. So learn learn to live without debt. The second thing is just save a little, just a little every day in a way that you don't even think about it, right? And the best way to do that is actually KiwiSaver because if you save $20 a week into KiwiSaver, the government will give you $10 a week for free, right? 50% return as an adult, you know, for between 18 and 65. So every adult must have a KiwiSaver account, even if you're putting 20 bucks a week in. Um, and so just those little saving habits, you know, I'll give you an example. This is my get rich slowly scheme. Would you like to hear this? Yeah, yeah. It's super easy, right? This is what I do with my kids, by the way, I save the value of a cup of coffee a day into their KiwiSaver account. And the reason I do a cup of coffee is because it adjusts with inflation over time, right? So you're basically automatically inflation indexing your savings because a cup of coffee changes with how rich we get, right? Cup of coffee a day. Um, If you stick that into the sorted calculator, it says from the day they're born, by the time they're 25, they'll have about $80,000 in their KiwiSaver. That's a house deposit. Straight away, cup of coffee a day. Don't even think about it, right? Just just set it up and don't even think about it. That's into a, a, Kiwi, a standard KiwiSaver growth fund, even with the high fees that our competitors charge. You still end up with $80,000, right? And then if you uh, held on to that to 65, that's $655,000. You know, Now that's just, so, so just a little bit of saving every day and forget about it. I think that's the second thing. So stay out of debt, a little bit of savings. Invest in education. Like, you know, don't underestimate, like, You know, the world belongs to the educated, not the ignorant, right? So get in there and do what you do well. You know, the other thing, this is what I'd say about occupations generally, it's a very competitive world out there, right? Uh, Generally, the people who do well are the people who are doing it for love, and working hard <laughs> but you will want to work hard because you love what you do right as a general rule so so just be good at whatever you do right it doesn't matter what that occupation is the very best at every occupation do incredibly well in life with money best hairdressers get paid a lot of money right the best nurses get paid a lot of money the best tradies get paid a lot of money you know it's a, so so uh, so that's good, and and you know, and there's and and there's some other things in the book there about sort of minor stuff, but that's the real basic stuff. And but the, but overarching all of that is realizing that you are completely capable of taking control of your life with money. You do not have to let it rule you. You can rule it. Where can people get the book? Oh, look, uh, we just go to our website and ask for it. That's fine. It'll be uh, downloadable uh, very soon for free. Uh, I think about 120,000 copies got distributed via bookshops last month. Uh, look, we're on a mission to demystify money. Our industry will hate this because usually, with this, that means you're not going to end up buying a whole lot of expensive financial products. You're just going to, you know, the most important thing you should do with a dollar, if you've got a spare dollar, is pay down debt don't even buy anything just get rid of financial products out of your life don't include more don't take on more credit cards or whatever so yeah so you can just get it. and then it'll be on our website our members will get it for free you know so we'll make it whaty we're translating into um, uh, today right now so that'll be available uh, um, shortly and yeah so it's just a part, part of an ongoing mission but you know we've got a we've got decades to get this right so we'll we'll Work out what works and do yeah. it do it that way. So cool, Sam. And as a final thought, what will success be for
2: you and for Simplicity?
1: Well, you know, Simplicity's. I, I'm just the one of the custodians at the start, right? So we're just six years into a hundred year journey. So uh, Simplicity, if it fulfils its potential, I think will be. I mean, this may sound quite ambitious, but. So far, so good. It will be the biggest financial institution in the country. It'll be bigger than any bank because ultimately it will be the most trusted brand name in New Zealand and people will entrust us with our money. And and it's ultimately that money that builds any bank or any financial institution. Um, It may also be the biggest homeowner in the country and home builder in the country because if you think about that, not only are there great returns from that, but also, you know, from our point of view as a social enterprise, you know, the ultimate cliff. Uh, the ultimate fence at the top of the cliff in terms of social problems is a warm, dry housing. You know, housing security is, is is a human right. And if we can help provide that, we should. And that stops us having to fund all of these ambulances at the bottom of the cliff, which we currently do with our foundation. You know, Women's refuge, food parcels, all of these things. A warm, dry, secure housing prevents a lot of social problems. Eh? So that would be cool if we were Uh, if we help change the housing market, and I think we can with the many billions of dollars that members will entrust us with. And then also, um, I'd like it to be the biggest charity in the country as well. So if we take a little bit of of what we get paid and we put that in, and there's a lot of um, ideas we have in that area too in terms of um, getting New Zealanders in touch with their charitable hearts and their very charitable hearts. New Zealanders are awesome givers, you know. So how do we do that? So I think... and those are just our ideas right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the next team that takes over when we leave, who knows what they will do but and that 's just about social enterprise man that 's just about about um, um, tapping into people 's better angels and you know people 's better angels in business are a a beautiful match actually. you know you really can make money and do good and um, we 've seen that with southern cross we 've seen that with a whole lot of social enterprises all around the world. You're beginning to see it with us.
2: Yeah, and you've got the track record to show now as well that you're not losing. You know, no, often yeah. there's, a, there's <laughs> a, well, you can help this nice thing by joining and you won't have the returns you get elsewhere, yeah. but yeah, it's yeah, a win-win. Yeah, yeah. You, you've, got, yeah. you've got industry-leading <laughs> returns over the
1: longest term. Yeah, thank you. I mean, look, it's a challenge, mate, to be honest with you, because a lot of people think business is business and business is about making money, and then they think charity is charity, right? So people have quite separate pockets. It's a hard story to tell people that actually you can have both as long as you, if you know that, that you can really can do both, but you really can, yeah, well, you you, really can you, by giving up the personal profit margin for the people at the top, which is what you've done. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that and cutting out the banks yeah, 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 who yeah. are making so much money as well. So if you thought about some, I uh, used to sort of jokingly call Simplicity the Great Aussie Bank Profit Repatriation Machine. <laughs> you know? So, so that they, they, and, and they're they're lovely people working in the banks, but they just have got a business model which is has been exploitative for a long time, and. and they just can't get out of that model, right? Um, so, so that they will not change naturally. They will, they will, you know, there will be a process of destruction that happens, uh, and it will be creative destruction as happens with all industries that are fundamentally exploitative. Ultimately, the truth catches up with them, um, uh, uh, and, and and yeah, and 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 then there'll be, we will just be one. I'm predicting of many successful social enterprises. I think the smartest. The smartest of this new generation coming through are going to decide that they just want to get paid fairly, and do a hell of a lot of good, and then they will realise, you know what? Let's call it the the business model, is a great way of achieving that. So, so rather than going and work for a charity, I mean, this is look what I did. I planted trees for a year, when I left, and decided I wanted to give back, and then I realised I'm just a labourer. Actually, the best thing I can do, is is set up a business in every respect in every respect we are a business and a very competitive driven business we just don't want to make money for ourselves yeah. you know and and that is a very powerful uh, you yeah, that, that's the simplicity magic because that's what gets all the volunteers the brightest minds the most energy people turning up early and leaving late all that sort of stuff because they really do feel as if they're making an impact and i think you know, talking to the younger generation, but equally, actually everybody, really, everyone wants their lives to stand for something and do good, right? And if they can get paid a fair salary along the way, that's kind of magical. Thank you so much, Sam Stubbs, CEO and one of the co-founders
2: at Simplicity, for sharing the story today, Namihi. Thank you. Thank you to you for listening, having us along in your ears and for everyone who helps make this happen like our producer, Te Aihei Butler. Do follow Business Is Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. And if you have any suggestions for people that you'd like to hear on Business Is Boring, hit me up on Twitter at Simon underscore pound with people you'd like to hear from. In e no
0: from the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, Kia butler he here, Podcast Manager at The Spin-Off.